Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo tengo casi 33 años de ser de ser forense. Nunca había visto una una escena así. In spring 2021, reporter Brian Avelar launched an investigation that began in the depths of a grave dug by a serial killer and ended with the government forcing him and other journalists to flee El Salvador. Sonoro and Revista Factum present Humo, Murder and Silence in El Salvador. The story behind a country where the truth and its citizens' rights are buried under the weight of power. Señor Ministro, ¿Dónde está Karen y Eduardo Guerrero? ¿Dónde están mis hijos? Listen to Humo, Murder and Silence in El Salvador, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Everytown Podcast is being sponsored by our friends over at the Deadbolt Mystery Society, who have an awesome monthly subscription box service that if you guys are fans of true crime and unsolved mysteries, you really need to check out. Each box contains its own mystery where you do things like hunt down a killer, solve a kidnapping, or stop a madman before it's too late. Recently, I've been solving the Pretender Box, which sends you to a horror author's house that sits on an isolated lake. It gets pretty intense and you receive a ton of evidence, and the coolest part is there are also QR codes throughout the contents that show you videos, photos, and other evidence, so you get truly immersed in this box trying to figure out who the Pretender is before they strike again. Crate Joy has over 260 reviews by people just like you that have joined the Deadbolt Mystery Society, and they average 4.9 out of 5 stars, which Deadbolt totally deserves. Go to DeadboltMysterySociety.com today and use the code DEADBOLT20 to get 20% off any subscription or single box right now. Again, that's 20% off when you use the promo code DEADBOLT20. Come join the Deadbolt Mystery Society today. Every town has a dark side. The following is a story from one of them, but there's still many more to uncover. In this episode, we head to Brooksville, Kentucky, and we dive deep into the unsolved mystery of Erica Frazier's disappearance. 
Brooksville, Kentucky is in Bracken County, and it was settled before 1800 by William and Joel Woodward, thus it was originally known as Woodward's Crossroads. However, due to its more central location, it formally became a county seat on February 16, 1839, courtesy of the legislation sponsored by Senator David Brooks. Thus, Woodward's Crossroads was renamed Brooksville in his honor. The small town could perhaps be described as plain, sleepy, and uneventful, as it was devoid of headline-grabbing mysteries, controversies, and repugnant crimes, which makes it an ideal place to live in and raise a family. Life in Brooksville remained that way for almost two centuries. That is, until a teenage girl named Erica Frazier disappeared with almost no shred of evidence back in 1997. It shook Brooksville to its core and changed the dynamics of the people's lives in this small Kentucky town forever. I'm Andrew Fitzgerald and this is Every Town. Disappearances and even deaths of people that have turned into unfinished puzzles for many years are a dime a dozen in America. But when Erica Frazier vanished, it became sort of a first-of-its-kind shocking event in Brooksville, Kentucky. In this episode, I will present the details about her disappearance, the people involved and suspected of allegedly committing the crime, the efforts exerted by Brooksville authorities and residents in finding answers to baffling questions, and the tremendous impact of Erica's unfortunate fate to this small community. In 1997, then 17-year-old Erica was a senior public high school student at Bracken County High School, located in Brooksville, although she actually resided in Germantown, which is just eight minutes away. Like most teenagers eager to achieve their goals in life, Erica dreamed of going to Northern Kentucky University after completing her high school education and planned of pursuing an accounting degree. In preparation for that, Erica worked part-time at Corrado's Pizza Restaurant in Augusta, just nine and a half miles away from Brooksville. In fact, a few weeks before she went missing, Erica requested more hours so she could save more money. As a student, she was described by her 12th grade English teacher, Caroline Miller, as beautiful, fun, and witty, traits that made her light up an otherwise dull class. The teenager was confident of herself, it was not a social butterfly who thrived on being the center of attention. Erica's easygoing manner had won her many friends, both male and female, making her well-liked in school. Mrs. Miller didn't consider Erica as one of her most studious pupils, nor was she active in school activities, but the teacher admired her for being independent. And just like any typical teen her age, Erica also loved going to parties, hanging out with friends, and driving around town on weekend nights. In a close-knit town with a population of less than 680 back then, Brooksville residents expectedly knew everyone's business and what everyone was doing. 
and the townsfolk had noticed that Erica kept the company of what was called a rough crowd. It was one of those nights spent cruising around town with her friends that sealed the fate of Erica, as well as changed the circumstances in Brooksville. October 21st, 1997. Reality TV celeb Kim Kardashian turned 17 years old on that day. America listened to and made Elton John's Something The Way You Look Tonight, the country's number one song. And in the little town of Brooksville, Erica Frazier looked ready to have some fun that Tuesday night. She left home to go uptown, something teens in small towns normally do at that time. Clad in a purple sweater, a pair of Levi's jeans, white kid sneakers, Erica completed her get-up with a Winnie the Pooh wristwatch and four gold rings on her right hand, one of which had a sapphire and diamond heart. Driving her 1988 four-door black Pontiac Bonneville, Erica spent the night socializing with her group. As Erica's best friend Amanda recalled, back then to hang out with your friends on a Friday or Saturday night, you got in your parents' car or your own car if you were lucky enough, and you went to Brooksville and you cruised town. Erica and her friends just combed the streets of Brooksville, contrary to some speculations that she partied that night when in fact the party happened on October 22nd. But on that ominous October 21st night, Erica didn't come home to her parents, Daniel and Maggie Doherty. The pretty teen with light brown hair and blue eyes was last seen between 9 and 10 that evening at Video and Tan in Brooksville, a video rental business. Then she drove away and headed home to Germantown, but obviously something went awry for Erica because she never reached her home's doorstep. It was a red flag that made her family frantic, so Erica's mom called the police to report that her daughter hadn't come home. Maggie also asked Erica's friends, who initially assumed their pal was just out acting as a willful teenager. Erica's best friend Amanda even said that she probably went and got drunk and she fell asleep at somebody's house and they'll find her. But when Wednesday morning dawned and they still didn't receive any word from Erica, the news reached Bracken County High School principal Mark Crane. He then made a school-wide appeal to students, telling them to share information and hints about Erica's whereabouts the previous night. Then, 24 hours after she went missing, authorities received a call from some kids saying they found Erica's car. Leading the investigation back then was State Police Detective Bob Scott who later became Bracken County Sheriff's Office Chief Deputy. He and fellow authorities went to check on Erica's car one mile away from the video rental shop, abandoned between two bales of hay in a field on Franks Lane just outside Brooksville. Found intact inside the car were Erica's handbag, wallet, checkbook, and even some money, but there was no hint at all of the senior high school student. 
During a search weeks later, her keys were found 100 yards away. However, there wasn't enough evidence to help investigators piece together what happened that night. As Scott said, there was nothing in the car that would lead anyone to believe there was foul play involved. We weren't even able to find fingerprints. There were no foreign hairs, nothing in the purse. Naturally, what happened to Erica became a topic of conversation in the school and throughout Bracken County. The question on the lips of everyone was, where was Erica? Detective Scott was determined to find the answer to the question, saying, the community won't rest until Erica is found. Days following her inexplicable disappearance, Detective Scott chased tips and rumors and checked out alibis of people he investigated, including students at the Bracken County High School. In the first days after Erica's disappearance, her schoolmates talked with police and teachers, passing on any information they could think of. Determined to know anything and everything regardless of the significance, Detective Scott met with the junior and senior high school girls and asked them to write down anything about Erica, including rumors, incidents, names of anyone they remember her mentioning, or even talking to. Amanda shared that they spent every day together laughing, chatting, and passing notes in class. They even had a locker that they shared together at school. But on the day Erica vanished, on October 21st, the two friends had had an argument. Thus, Amanda wasn't cruising with Erica around Brooksville that ill-fated night. Amanda said, I just remember feeling sorry for myself that first day because I was alone. It turns out I was alone for the rest of the senior year. Bracken County High School had been actively cooperating with authorities and in keeping Erica's case on the top of everyone's mind. How could the school community forget Erica when posters bearing her face and newspaper clippings about her disappearance were posted on the doors and hallways? Students wrote poems about Erica's plight and gave out hand-painted buttons to the townsfolk. And to symbolize their ardent hope of finding Erica, faculty and students wore small white ribbons on their ties, lapels, sweaters, or pinned them on their lockers. They're trying to think of anything they could do to help solve Erica's case because most of them truly believed somebody in Bracken County knew something. Something happened to her, we want to find her, and we don't want it to happen again, Mrs. Miller said. The rest of the Brooksville community did their part too. They pinned white ribbons on their shirt or adorned them on their doors. Their cars, shop windows, and bulletin boards also carried the missing girl poster with Erica's smiling face on it. Prayers for her were also offered every Sunday during Mass. State Police Detective Scott had flown over Bracken County Fields time and time again in a helicopter looking for some signs of the missing teen, but the aerial searches did not yield new information. The weeks of frustrating searches led to rampant speculation, zeroing in on Erica's association with the so-called rough group, but wild rumors such as an alien abduction also circulated. People were grasping for answers. As the lead investigator who analyzed the leads and information gathered, 
Detective Scott believed that Erica did not flee on her own volition. The 17-year-old did not have any records of running away. She was a good student, and she had friends, but not a steady boyfriend. Most of all, there wasn't any indication of trouble with Erica at home, school, or work. Despite sustained news reports and a $7,000 reward for finding her, Erica's case seemed to be headed nowhere. Family and friends, of course, kept believing that there was hope somehow, somewhere. The media inevitably caught wind of Erica Frazier's disappearance without a trace. Then, almost a month after the incident, an interview of Shane Simcox on WCPO-TV News on November 19, 1997, provided some of the most valuable information so far in the investigation. The 21-year-old Simcox was a Brooksville man who worked at a Bracken County hog farm and lived with his grandfather. He was among the group that Erica was friendly with and the last person seen with Erica in her car that police knew of. In that interview, Shane labeled himself as a prime suspect in Erica's disappearance, but Detective Scott said it was Shane who considered himself as such and not the police. vital revelation during the interview was Shane's confirmation that he was with Erica that October 21st night and they drove around Brooksville a little bit. He narrated that since he had no car, Erica drove to his house and picked him up. When they got tired of driving around, Erica decided to head home, but she dropped Shane first at his house around 9 o'clock. The man claimed it was the last time he had seen Erica and denied any involvement in his friend's disappearance. It was his statement, well, Erica was missing, not dead, that fully caught the attention of the police. Detective Scott tried to interview Shane as well, but the latter evoked his right to counsel so a full interview didn't materialize. When Scott wanted Shane to take a lie detector test, the suspect refused even if it would mean clearing his name. Shane's reason? He didn't like the way he'd been treated by the police, to which Detective Scott says he has no idea what he was particularly referring to. Unlike the eight other suspects in Erica's case who dared to undergo a polygraph test, Shane was the only one who declined. Moreover, the parents of Erica didn't know Shane at all. Mom Maggie couldn't remember Erica even mentioning Shane to her, much more meeting him, while Dad Daniel was aware that Shane was considered a suspect who refused a lie detector exam, yet he didn't want to accuse him of anything without solid basis. So who really was Shane Simcox? Well, let me shed some light about his previous encounters with the law, which may give credence to his inclusion as a suspect. As a student at the Brackett County High School, Shane displayed a disturbing behavior when he threatened one of his teachers and her daughter. I just told her I was going to kill her, basically, Shane said during the TV interview, claiming that his statement was a prank. 
As a consequence, though, he was expelled from school. On July 4th, 1995, Shane and two other people committed a robbery at the Brooksville fuel stop. They broke in at 3.30 in the morning, took some money and checks kept inside a lockbox and exited through the front door. Court records show Shane pleaded guilty to third-degree burglary in December that year, served jail time for three months, and was still on probation for five years when the disappearance of Erica happened. But Shane seemed unmindful of his predicament because on December 14th that same year, he faced charges for third-degree criminal trespassing at the Madison Street Phone Company in Brooksville. However, that charge was later dismissed. His suspected involvement in Erica's disappearance could have gotten him into scraps with the law again, but just like with the other suspects, there was no hard and convincing evidence that would merit filing charges against him. The farm where he worked was also searched to no end, but the efforts were fruitless. Since his TV interview, Shane has not spoken about Erica's case and moved around a lot, so his current whereabouts are unknown. In 1998, another name cropped up as a highly possible person who knew what had happened to Erica, Chris Miner, reportedly a friend of the missing girl. On September 24th, Erica's mom appeared on the nationally televised talk show The Montel Williams Show with psychic Sylvia Brown from New York. Since no suspect had been charged yet, Perhaps it was a mother's desperate measure to uncover the truth about her daughter's misfortune. Sylvia assured the tormented mother that Erica's body could be found at the bottom left side of a lake. Furthermore, she said that a man strangled the teenage girl because she refused his advances. When asked who knew about Erica's disappearance, Sylvia said, Chris, although it was bleeped out on national TV, but her lip movement was apparently easy to decipher. This led to another wild goose chase by the law enforcers as they dredged a five-acre rural Kentucky lake located less than two miles from where Erica's car was found. Around 20 volunteers and divers from Campbell and Harrison County searched the entire lake from 10 in the morning until that evening, but they were unsuccessful. At least two other searches of the lake's perimeter and the surrounding terrain have been conducted since then. Sadly, there was no trace of Erica being carried or dragged into the lake. Then, Brooksville was shocked by the news that Chris Miner shot his 24-year-old girlfriend, Carmen Moorhead, and then took his own life the day after the Montel Williams show aired. However... Chris had been ruled out as a suspect in the disappearance of Erica shortly before he killed himself due to a credible alibi. A decade later, Kentucky State Police Detective Chris Jaskowak clarified that Chris and Carmen's case was a domestic issue and wasn't related to Erica's disappearance. It was just a coincidence that he did it the day after the show aired. The FBI had drawn up a profile of the kind of person capable of making a girl disappear, like what happened to Erica. 
This person is a sociopath who may have had a history of animal abuse, strained family ties, and may have been jailed. He tends to keep to himself so much that he has few friends to confide in. He's capable of killing someone and disposing of the body without ever feeling the need to share nor brag about the information to anyone. It's also believed the person was from the community, familiar with the area, and may still maintain a local address while moving around a lot in Brooksville's surrounding communities and cities. As Erica's case has dragged on for years, authorities have not been able to pin down a possible culprit. Neither have they produced a most plausible explanation why Erica just vanished out of the blue. Sadly, the case even outlived Erica's parents. They died waiting for closure. Maggie succumbed to cancer in 2011, and Daniel joined his wife five years later. Erica's disappearance may not be well known to people outside Kentucky, but it has changed the rhythm of life in the tiny town of Brooksville for the past two decades. Amanda, who described Erica as a diamond of a friend, decided not to study graphic arts at the local university after Erica went missing. She was afraid to go away and instead went to a Brooksville community college. Teenagers, even today, seldom stayed on the streets at night and the cruising that went around town slowed down. Moms have become helicopter parents, that is, they hover over their children's every move to ensure their safety. Amanda, now a mother herself, doesn't even let her children walk to the mailbox out of fear. Erica's case still burdens some of the investigators who worked on it, especially Bob Scott. Everyone always had a case, the case they couldn't solve, and this is mine. This is my case, it still haunts me, he once said. So what could bring Brooksville community some peace? Only when they find out what really happened to Erica and the criminal is known and punished. It's the only closure that Brooksville has been waiting for for more than two decades. So that's it for this week's episode of Everytown. Please subscribe and let us know if you have any stories that you'd like us to cover. And for more creepy stories, make sure to check out our other podcast and YouTube channel called Scary Mysteries. Tune in next week for another episode filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories about every town out there. And who knows, maybe your town will be next.